Welcome to Food Marketing Nerds, your weekly serving of marketing advice and industry insights with the smartest minds in the business. Here's your host, Alex Osterley. Howdy, folks. Really excited to bring to you today's guest. We are chatting with David Clavsons, CEO of King Juice Calypso. By volume, Calypso is the leader in the bottled lemonade category. And while the product has always been amazing, the company's growth was a little stagnant a few years back. That is, until David entered the picture. Since assuming the role of CEO, David has staged a massive turnaround, helping Calypso in all areas from marketing and branding to sales and distribution. In his words, Calypso is focused on mastering the basics. And today, that approach is paying dividends. David has extensive CPG experience, having worked at Pepsi, Kraft, and Frito-Lay. And helping companies thrive in the industry is basically second nature for him. Thankfully, he was more than happy to dumb things down just a little bit to help me understand. While this conversation focuses a lot on bottled beverages specifically, a lot of the topics would make for perfect chapters in a winning in CPG for Dummies book. In this episode, you'll learn what hires are most crucial for breaking through a plateau, why you shouldn't write off a smaller social media following, what metrics matter in leading a company turnaround, and plenty, plenty more. David really is awesome, and I know you are about to learn a ton from his interview. David, thanks so much for joining us. Alex, great to have the opportunity to talk to you. So what's your story? What was the path that led you to your current role as CEO of King Juice Calypso? Well, Alex, I had a, uh, I've had a long career in multiple functions, multiple companies, much of which were you know larger companies. And I had the desire to work on a smaller brand in a smaller business that I knew I could make a significant difference in. And the King Juice company and the Calypso brand really stood out as a great opportunity, it had great solid fundamentals, but was clearly under leveraged. And that's what attracted me to it. So can you paint a little more vivid of a picture for our audience, the state of King Juice and the Calypso brand the business was at at the time that you were considering taking the role of CEO? Yeah. So, you know, it was a brand that had been around for about 20 years and the founder, Tim Kesman, did a terrific job in creating something unique and different in a highly acceptable suite of products called Lemonade. And it had solid fundamentals. It has category leading velocity, beating out Minute Maid and Brisk, which was clearly an attractive element of the business and is a great brand and great positioning with taste of the islands in you know, a premium glass bottle. And it was also underinvested. So the business was flat to declining over the last five years prior to Mason Wells picking up the business. And we knew that there was a significant opportunity because of those fundamentals. And we spent the next three years now investing in the brand. Aside from being under leveraged or underinvested, were there any red flags that you knew needed to be addressed immediately in terms of distributions or consumer behavior? I don't know. Yeah. So distribution was relatively low at about 30% ACV. And so we knew there was significant upside to get product in the market, given the velocities that we saw, like I had said, category leading velocities, beating out some of the largest brands out there. It was really about getting with our customers. And when I say customers, it's a combination of our distributors and the DSD network that we have, 160 distributors nationally, our retailers and understanding what their needs were, you know, all of which are basic and fundamental, but really weren't happening to the extent that they needed to, to build a brand. And then of course on consumers and connecting with consumers that we found quite loyal and quite engaged on social media, but again, uh, under leveraged. And, you know, we spent 
a lot of time early on understanding what the key attributes of the brand were and you know what people loved about the brand and then just went after that with consumers, retailers, and distributors. Well, what is it that you could point to and say this business is under leveraged? Well, so they, you know, again, 20 year old brand, the visual ID, you know, the label had been around for 20 years and it was in clear need of some updating the packaging itself. Innovation was pretty meek at the time and we didn't have anything but a one size, one package brand. So it was in need of flavor extensions and pack type innovation. And then, as you know, you know, we introduced a zero sugar line, which was a huge addition to our business. And then, you know, the third thing I would tell you is the team, the executive team. We built a really, really strong executive team. And the biggest part of that was rebuilding the sales organization to get after fact-based selling and engaging with distributors and retailers in a way that they started to believe in the brand again and allow us the opportunity to prove ourselves. And we're in the midst of driving that momentum with the uh, distributors and retailers right now and gaining distribution and improving our execution levels. And it, it really came out in the last couple of years after stabilizing the business in, in 2008. 2018, flat to up a couple of percent after declining the years prior to up 33 percent in 19. And, you know, this year, you know, we're we're pressing up 60 percent at this point. So matter of fact, the momentum is so strong. The challenge now is how do we keep up with the demand with production? That sounds like a good problem to have. It's a great problem to have. And as long as you solve it, it's even better. And that's really where, uh, you know, where our effort and, and energy is now, because we've got this brand humming along and we've got consumers engaged. You know, we've got over 80,000 followers now on Instagram, over 200,000 followers on Facebook. You know, we've tripled those numbers over the last three years. And, you know, the consumer side of this business is very, very strong. Our distributors are believing in our products and our retailers have gone from, you know, maybe putting a couple of facings on a shelf to putting pallets on the floor because they know, like I had said earlier, the velocity of the brand is fantastic. And you put a pallet out, it's gone over the weekend. So it's an exciting place to be. So you mentioned that 30% ACV number when you're looking at considering working with the company. Can you explain the significance of ACV to a CPG brand as if you're explaining it to a five-year-old? Yeah. So the easiest way to describe it is the definition is all commodity volume, right? So it's what percentage of the business do you have your products in? So that's 30%. But the key is a Walmart store is worth a heck of a lot more than Joe's Corner store. So you could get additional distribution in a store. But the question is, is it the best store to get distribution in? So that's where our focus has been with distribution is get into the best stores and the ones that we know will turn our product. And, you know, Walmart's a great shining example. You know, we're not in the mod. We're not on the shelf at Walmart, but we're in almost a thousand stores now. And it's all been, you know, store level selling. And, you know, we're we're in pallets and end caps and side stacks at Walmart because they see the value in the product and the and again, the velocity that we've been able to achieve. And, you know, it's very profitable for retailers and distributors to support that kind of business. So ACV is critical. It's, you know, going to the right stores that the business is going to thrive in. So before the interview, you mentioned Calypso has really thrived as a result of doing the basics really well. So again, to a five-year-old or to somebody who isn't super familiar with the industry, what, what are the basics of running a successful bottled beverage parent? 
it, it starts with really understanding the brand. What do you have? What is the competitive positioning? What are the advantages of the brand that you have? And then moving into, okay, what's the realistic growth strategy that's going to exploit those advantages? And then lastly, and as I had mentioned before, building the team and capabilities to execute against that growth strategy. And with Calypso, the competitive advantage was velocity and the positioning was taste of the islands. It's a great positioning. You know, who doesn't want a trip to the islands? Who doesn't want to sit on the beach? And we've got a brand that embodies that. And then our growth strategy really was invest in the right places in the brand that we know that can make a difference. And that was in visual identity, innovation. And then lastly is building the team and the capabilities. We had a real focus against the marketing team initially, and then moved to the sales organization. We've got a, a great sales leader, Bridget Lazda. She's got a Heineken background, steeped in beverage, Coke prior to that, and knows the distributor network and has done an outstanding job of building her team and getting the right people in place that are, are driving results. So those are the three things that, that we've done. And I'd recommend to anybody that is working on a, an established brand, understanding what you have and then figuring out where it is you need to go that can best leverage those attributes of the brand. And turning the company around and going through those steps of shoring up the basics, were there any stages or efforts that you think had the, the biggest ROI or a disproportionately large impact? The biggest thing and the first thing that we did was a visual identity, right? Packaging design. It contemporized the brand and it improved shopability. You could actually see the label and it really popped and the whole idea of, you know, fruit and flavor and taste came out in that label. And when you do label changes, you're never sure if it's going to alienate people or, you know, if it's really going to resonate. Well, I got to tell you, this one really, really resonated. And we came out with the new label in 2019. And that's when our growth started to really kick in. But I'd also tell you, at the same time, we engaged consumers and we did it through social media. No surprise there. Really enhanced our creative and paid reach. We also spent a lot of time with premium giveaways to fans and we found it worked really well as an engagement tool. And one of the things that, that we saw early, early on was anytime we'd post something, we would get a lot of engagement. You know, typically you, you'll scroll through Instagram and just see what's there and you, you move on. But, uh, you know, our engagement rates were incredibly high for a brand our size. And that whole idea of vacation in the bottle, the vibe of our, our brand that came out in the engagement that we had with consumers, but then also giving stuff away, towels and t-shirts, et cetera, to create this connection to the brand. It, it's worked and it's worked really well. And then the latest thing we're doing is an influencer program to really celebrate the true passion of the brand. It's been exciting to see consumers come along and leveraging the visual identity that we came out with and now executing at store level and seeing the benefits of that. This focus on engagement clearly is paying off. For a product like Calypso, where the purchase happens at the store level or even at the distributor level, what do you care about as a CEO when it comes to marketing investments like social media to see if they're paying off? 
it's very difficult to tie what goes on with social media to purchase. But we have seen household penetration go up double digits, a key, key measure in any marketing effort. So we're getting the new consumers and we're getting followers added to those social platforms very, very rapidly. Only two years ago, just to put it in perspective, we had 10,000 followers on Instagram. We have over 80,000 now. So that idea of connecting and engaging is working and getting these folks to sign up and then engage on the platform, connecting it right back to the shelf. We do that through communicating events with retailers, you know, promotions or discounts that we might have. We've been doing quite a bit of digital couponing, especially on our light product to attract new consumers. So we're trying to connect the dots between the social media engagement and what happens on shelf. And it appears to be working very difficult to decipher exactly where it's coming from. But nevertheless, we're seeing great lift in store at the same time we're seeing great lift with our followers. What were the earliest hires that you made when you assumed the role of CEO and why did you take that approach? Marketing efforts always have a longer incubation period. It takes a while. It takes a while to get packaging change or visual ID change, label change. It takes a while to have a social media presence expand. So that was the first place I went. I went right to marketing and making sure that we understood the brand, we shored it up, we did the things that consumers were were looking for and asking for, whether that's through innovation and flavor extensions, the label, label design, and the creative that we had on the platform. At the same time, the whole sales organization needed a lift both in their ability to engage. And I would say that fact-based selling was a big, big part of that so that we could engage with more sophisticated national retailers where we were not very strong. We had very strong presence in independence, but there you go again. That's why our ACV was so low. We just didn't have the selling story. We didn't have the fact-based methods to get after distribution because we had a great story. We just weren't telling the story. And then it's structure and discipline and programming that generates an ROI specifically around trade spending. You know, it's easy to spend money with retailers, but spending it the right way to get the right ROI that benefits both the retailer and the manufacturer. And in this case, the distributor, given the three tier system is critical and you've got to get all these folks on board. You know, a distributor is not going to jump on board if they're not going to make any money, nor is a retailer. And we can't do it if we're not going to make any money. So figuring that out, that balance is really, really important. And then, you know, lastly, I would say it's this idea of engaging our distributors because if a distributor doesn't believe. And if the route salesman doesn't believe in your product or thinks it can only sell in a certain segment of retailers or certain geographies, you're never going to break out. So we spent a lot of time with distributors and the reps, making sure they understood the story and getting them to believe over time. And I'll tell you, that's what builds momentum and hard to keep momentum. But that's where we are right now is maintaining and building on the momentum with our distributors, our retailers and our own sales organization. I tell you, I couldn't be more proud of the sales group because of what they've been able to accomplish in driving momentum through execution. And I think that is really at the heart of this thing now that we've got a great story to tell. 
Can you elaborate a little further on fact-based selling? I'm assuming it's self-explanatory and just what the word is, but can you give an example of what fact-based selling would be versus what was happening prior? Think of it as walking into a retailer with nothing but a bottle and saying, you know, try this, it's really good and you need to list it, please. That works to a point. And years ago, you know, I've been around for 35 years in the industry and you could get away with that. 35 years ago, where it was a relationship sell. But retailers, and you know, I was on the retailer side for a while in the convenience store industry in merchandising and marketing. And you know, you, you gotta come with the right story. Why should I list this product? Why should I put it on shelf? Why should I put it on display? What are the facts that lead me to that conclusion that this is the right move for me to make for my shelf, my store, our brand of, of retailer? And just getting the data is half the battle. You know, you got to go get the IRI data. And we really did not have a robust IRI engagement or Nielsen. The sellout data from distributors, you know, signing up for that and making sure you have the right data so that you can talk about velocity of the product. So you can talk about distribution. You can talk about gross margin return on investment with a retailer that's really important for them so that you can compare to other brands on the shelf and show them that Calypso is going to return a better level of profit for the space that you allocate to it. It's really not that complicated. It's just hard to do. And teaching, training, coaching, developing a sales organization that's never really had to do that is probably the biggest challenge here. And that's where we reorganized and we've added the right people. And I feel really, really good about the capability that we've developed around that idea of fact-based selling. So it sounds like more coming into a presentation or a pitch with a business case as to why, not just this is a great product that if you like it, everyone's going to like it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, again, it's not that complicated, but come in with the facts and the message and the story and be consistent. That's another thing, you know, being consistent across an organization, but flexible enough for each retailer that makes sense for them. You know, that didn't exist prior. And, you know, we had to build those muscles. We didn't have those muscles to begin with. And we've been able to establish that. And I'll tell you, it's paying off. And, you know, there's folks that have been around in the sales organization for many years that have really learned and have flourished. And there's folks that are new that we've brought in that have been able to grab on to the, the ideas and the strategy we have and help lift the balance of the organization. So, again, feel really good about that idea of fact-based selling. What do you think is behind the change to where fact-based selling is the route that is more effective? It's no surprise over the years, big data has gotten bigger and bigger and there's more of it. And those that can mine it and figure out what it says and be able to tell a story with it has become much, much more important. But it is shocking that there's still quite a few manufacturers and or retailers that you know, still aren't quite that comfortable with it, but they're demanding it. And when you've got 15 minutes or 20 minutes with a buyer, you're going to want to make that pitch really succinct and clear. And here's why, you know, what are the three points that are going to, you know, sway that buyer to put you on the shelf and not somebody else. So it has changed quite a bit, but I would tell you in my C-Store experience, when I first was running that organization, it was not that fact-based and we changed that as well. 
So, you know, it's been an evolution over time and buyers have less and less time. They're saying grace over more categories and have more responsibility and don't have the time. So if you can bring to them a solution that's fact-based for their category, they'll listen. But if you come in and just say, hey, can you list this? You want to go out to lunch? That's that's just not going to work anymore. It's pretty clear. From the product standpoint itself, what, what separates Clipso from other similar products on the market and how do you go about differentiating the brand in terms of your marketing? It isn't that similar from other products in the market. That's what's unique. And I hesitate to say it this way, but it's kind of the Snapple of lemonade because when Snapple came out, one of our board members is Mike Weinstein, who was, you know, the turnaround guy at Snapple. And, you know, bottled tea back then was something new. And that's where flavored lemonade is. No one else has a premium quality, great tasting flavored lemonade. And I think that differentiation is is what has really helped propel this brand because it's fantastic product. And you couple that with the positioning of this brand around the taste of the islands, Calypso, you know, the island music, that island feel, the island vibe. And then you bring that story with the velocity and the results that we've been able to achieve. Those are the things that differentiate this brand. And no one's been able to replicate it. So there's our point of differentiation. You always have to go after something, especially when you're selling. What is your point of differentiation? There's no new news there. Every person that sells will tell you, look, I need to figure out what's different about this brand. Well, we've got a number of different points that differentiate us. And, you know, it's it's really worked well. So over the past few years in particular, how has Clipso's product line evolved and what consumer needs are evolving that those new products have helped address? Flavor innovation was the first thing that we needed to do. Just bring some news and excitement into the business, into the Clipso business and the lemonade category. You know, I'll give you one example, Island Wave. The first new product that we introduced is no longer a flanker flavor it's become one of our top four over the last couple of years. So, you know, having that kind of excitement and energy and news where you've got something new that becomes one of your top four SKUs is a really big deal. The second lever was pack type innovation. So we've come out with a club pack. We've got a four pack, you know, a multi-pack, which is the next obvious evolution of this brand is multi-pack. And then probably most importantly, and we spent a lot of time working on this, is lights. So Calypso is a full sugar beverage. You know, it's permissible indulgence, if you will. And we knew because our consumers were telling us this and we listened to what they said on social media that they were looking for something with less sugar. And we spent a year formulating this product because it is very, very difficult. And no one's really been able to do it until we have just recently create a lemonade that is sugar-free and tastes great. Just by the nature of lemon concentrate and citric acid, it's very, very difficult to create a product that tastes great given the profile of lemon and citric acid. So We've been able to do it. Took a year doing it, took our time, listened to consumers, spent a lot of time with consumers figuring it out. And I believe we've got a fantastic product. And sure enough, you know, we introduced it this year in uh, April and May. Kroger grabbed right onto it 
And just to give you some quick numbers, you know, there is an underserved market in lemonade for zero or low sugar. Only 10% of bottled lemonade is low calorie versus 25% in soda and 27% in bottled tea. So, you know, there's a huge underserved element of the market within lemonade. And that's what we're going after, that new consumer. And there's a reason that it's only 10% because it's hard to do. Well, at Kroger, just in the last four months, we've been able to achieve 15% of our sales is in the light line of product. So we've already beaten that 10% number and we've never wow. been in the you know zero sugar realm to this point. So it's working. Our repeat rates are much higher than we ever had anticipated this early in. You know, a really good repeat rate is around 20%. We're in the 18% range just in the first four months, which is, is terrific. And, you know, we're gaining new consumers. So those are the biggest things to that are driving the business right now on innovation you know it's it's flavor innovation pack type and then you know most recently our light line so when it comes to releasing uh, calypso light or any new product what have you found to be most effective in driving trial and interest and in hitting those numbers that you mentioned so there's a couple of things getting it into people's hands is kind of the bottom line, right? You've got to get it into people's hands. And the days of sampling, obviously through COVID, have disappeared. You know, very difficult to do any kind of sampling. That's all gone away. And even when you could sample product, it's not that effective in terms of its ROI, right? You, you get to very few people at a very high cost. So how do you get bottles in people's hands? The best way that we found is you give product away. So I'll give you the example of what we did at Kroger is very, very successful. You know, we once a year will do a 10 for 10 event at Kroger, you know, big deal, big promotion. And we added a dollar coupon for lights that was on top of a 10 for 10. So essentially gave a light bottle away free to consumers. Very successful, right? Got a lot of pickup on social and sold a ton of product, gave product away on lights. And then that's what created created that repeat purchaser. The other thing is when you're in store is to make sure that you've got that deal, that promotion, and our sales organization is executing and getting displays on the floor. Because it's very hard and very difficult to find product on the shelf and you know have a consumer hunt around looking. But a big display, a pallet display, an end cap coupled with a coupon that gives a bottle away free is just the best combination. So that's how we've been able to launch this product is get it in people's hands. And we're continuing to do that with targeted digital coupons with Kroger, and it's working really well. So we'll continue to do that, continue to couple that with in-store POS signage and display support. And we expect the light line of products to uh, continue to grow. It seems like with a, a light or no sugar product, you're choosing between potentially losing a customer who changes lifestyle or makes different lifestyle choices or potentially growing the customer base with somebody who would have tried the, the main product or the brand if they found a lower sugar option. I'm curious what your general stance is when it comes to products potentially cannibalizing one another. There's so many different types of innovation, right? Like I had mentioned, flavor innovation, pack type innovation, type three innovation, which is new to market or new to world. Every one of those has a different level of cannibalization. I think it's difficult at best, and I think somewhat impossible if you're within a brand, a brand family, and you expect nothing but incremental consumers with no cannibalization or have it all incremental sales with an existing consumer. I don't think that's realistic. I think you have to expect some level of cannibalization, but at the same time, 
depending on what innovation it is, flavor innovation, an island wave, it's going to have high cannibalization, right? Because it's just another flavor of the same lineup of product. But the importance of it is news and excitement in the brand. So it's, you're, you know, you're trying to grow the business, but really what you're trying to do is continue to create excitement in the brand and have news. You go to pack type innovation, it's going to be cannibalistic, but if you get people buying a four pack versus two bottles off the shelf, because they can't carry four in their hand, you just got 50% incremental sales, 50% cannibalization. Then you go to the light line of product. So lights is designed for lapsed users because of high sugar content. And we know we have lapsed users in the brand because of that. But then there's also the go after a whole new set of consumers that, you know, accept or want low, no sugar offerings and then go target those consumers. That's what we're trying to do. And what we found is for the most part, initially we had existing consumers buying incrementally for lights. They're picking up, they're trying it, they got a coupon, why not? It's free. And then they're coming back and buying more of that. But then we're also targeting folks that are, you know, accept low, no sugar products, whether it's, you know, diet sodas or diet juices or zero sugar, you know, other zero sugar beverages and sending coupons to those folks that may have never bought Eclipso before. So I, I, I think it would be it'd be a bit of a miss if you said, I'm not going to introduce any products unless they're 100% incremental because you're missing out on the, the rationale for a whole slew of innovation that's important for a brand, right? News, energy, excitement, multiples, right? Package innovation, and then lights, which is designed to get new consumers. It just depends on what type of innovation and what your expectation should be on cannibalization. We have a, a few wrap-up questions that we ask each of our guests. If you had to go back as you were just starting your career or as you were just assuming the helm of Calypso or King Juice, what's one piece of advice that you could go back and give yourself if you could? I'd say the biggest one has to do with small company versus big company. When you're running a smaller company with much fewer resources and you got to do a lot of it yourself, be prepared to do that as I was, but it is more overwhelming than you can imagine when you have no team or you know you need to switch out the team, which leads me to the the one thing I would have done differently is I would have moved on the team aspect, the entire team sooner. I don't think there's anybody that says, boy, I, I, I wish I kept that person longer. Move quickly. When you know, you know, move quickly because time is is so critical. Now, it took us a year, but we got it. And it probably should have only taken us three months, six months tops. Are there any books or podcasts that you recommend to people? Uh, well, this one, of course. <laughs> you know, I've read so many books on marketing or sales or, you know, even operations. And what I've learned is you can never take any one path or, you know, look at any one leader and say, boy, I need to do that. What I've learned is you couple stuff you read and learn through the academic side of the business with the people and leaders you've trusted and know and your own experience and couple all those things together to solve problems and guide what you do. But you don't want to take any one 
piece of guidance and just follow it, whether it's from a book, a person, or your own experience. Look broadly across all of those things to guide what you do, your strategy, even the tactics of how you execute and implement things. That's the Probably the biggest thing that I've learned in the 35 years I've been doing this stuff. It's a very good and insightful answer to that question. So don't go out, read the Steve Jobs book and then manage like an asshole. You can't do it. It doesn't work. You know, I tried doing that years ago, early, early in my career and failed miserably. And I said, wow, this I try to be like somebody else that I had great respect for. Unbelievable leader. And I was, boy, that didn't work, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I said, you know, I just got to do it myself, but grab on to the things that you learn and, and know are, are really good from multiple sources and develop your own style, your own leadership and your own strategy and playbook. It's the best way that I've learned to kind of advance in a business. David, thank you so much for your time and for coming on and sharing your, your experiences and wisdom with us. Where can listeners go to learn more about Calypso and what you guys are up to? So drinkcalypso.com, best place to go. And uh, there's a lot of great stuff on there and some great mixer ideas for cocktails with Calypso. It's a, one of the things that uh, we pride ourselves on is we're used as a mixer quite frequently. So you'll find it to be a fantastic add to your favorite liquor. Awesome. If, uh, if someone was going to go try one first, do you have a recommendation? Ocean Blue is our number one seller, but I would tell you, and maybe it's because I was involved in formulating it, but Island Wave is fantastic. It is really a great product. And as I had said before, you know, it's become one of our top four out of 20 items. So it's uh, it's great stuff. Well, we really appreciate your time and can't wait to see where Eclipso goes from here. Great, Alex. Thank you very much. And that is going to do it for our conversation with David. What an awesome dude and a great brand. If you haven't already tried Calypso, keep an eye out. They are everywhere and they're delicious. Definitely a testament to the hard work of David and the rest of the squad over at King Juice Calypso. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to subscribe because we have some super interesting interviews in the pipeline and I would tell you more, but I would hate to ruin the surprise. So thanks for tuning in and until next week, stay nerdy. Food Marketing Nerds is a production of Blue Bear Creative. For interview transcripts and other downloadable resources, head to foodmarketingnerds.com. 